again. Happy Resurrection Day to you. And now that you've all sat down, I'm going to ask you all to stand up again. Because we're going to do what we do every year on Resurrection Day. When I say, He is risen, your job is to say, He is risen indeed. You guys got it? Okay, here we go. He is risen. Gosh, you're ready to say it. Let's do it again. He is risen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can sit down. There's an old saying that says you can't keep a good man down. On Easter we say you can't keep the God man down. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. And that's why we're here this morning to celebrate our Savior's victory over death, over the grave. One man who claimed he could give everlasting life to people was killed, but then he got back up and rose from the dead, changing the world forever. Amen? Listen, if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Luke chapter 24 this morning. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1, we read, Now in the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. The title of my message this morning is, God has something for you this Easter. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to rejoice in the risen, uh, our risen Savior, Lord. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives, Lord. We thank you for your word and how your Holy Spirit works through your word to teach us and to draw us closer to you in our relationship with you. Lord, we do pray if there's anyone that has joined us this morning that, that does not yet have a personal relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. Their sin has not been forgiven yet. They're not born again yet. Lord, would you especially touch their heart this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time. We rejoice in it. We pray your blessing and anointing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The story I found of a politician who just woke up after an operation and he found the curtains in his hospital rooms had been drawn shut. Why are the curtains closed, he asked the nurse. Is it nighttime already? 
No, the nurse replied, but there's a fire across the street and we didn't want you to wake and think the operation was unsuccessful. <laughs> now, the good news is that because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid of an unsuccessful operation. In fact, we don't even have to fear death because Christ died and rose again. And we know that for us as believers, there is life beyond the grave. Now, if that was all that the resurrection did for us, it would all be worth it, would it not? I mean, if all Christianity offered is life beyond the grave, don't you think it would be worth it to be a Christian? I certainly do. Especially as you move further on in years and you're going to become more and more appreciative of this, this great promise because sooner or later, we are all going to cross over to the other side. It's going to happen one day. There's a story of a preacher one Sunday who was trying to impress upon the people the importance of faith. All you people in this congregation, he cried from the pulpit, one day you're going to die. Do you hear me? All you people of this congregation, one day you're going to die. One little man sitting in the front row started to laugh, so the preacher asked him, what's so funny? The man answered, I don't belong to this congregation. Listen, it really doesn't matter what congregation you belong to. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how much you work out, how beautiful you might think you are presently. The fact of the matter is we are all on our way to the grave. We're all on our way to eternity. Now, depending on whether you know Christ or not will determine where you spend that eternity. That's why I taught in my message this morning, God has something for you this Easter. Because if you don't know Christ, God offers you salvation today. If you do know Christ, God offers you more than salvation. He offers you hope. If you don't know Christ, God offers you the forgiveness of your sin. If you do know Christ, God offers you not only hope, but grace and peace in this life. All because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Listen, just in case there's anyone here that, that you don't know why you're here this morning, let, let me make it very clear for us. We are here on what is called Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That Jesus went to the cross, died for my sins, died for your sins, and three days later, rose again from the dead. That's why we are here. That's our focus. Let's not miss that. It's an event that changed human history. An event that still changes life today. It's a very important day for us as believers. And I know sometimes non-believers, especially atheists, are upset because Christians, we, we have these holidays. We have Easter. We have Christmas. The Jewish people have Passover. Poor atheists, they just don't have a holiday. They don't have a day where they can acknowledge their unbelief. But actually they do, and it just so happened to fall on the same day that Easter does this year. <laughs> April 1st. They just need to embrace it. April Fool's Day. Because the Bible says a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But you see, this day is a day of rejoicing for us believers. It's a day to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And we're to remember who Jesus is and rejoice in what he has done. So if you're taking notes, we're going to see those three things this morning. We're going to be reminded, we're going to remember, and we're going to rejoice. Number one, be reminded. Listen, we often need to be reminded in order to remember. We need to, to be reminded to remember the resurrection. Not that we'll ever forget it, it's a true historical event, but we can forget the power it has to affect our lives. While there's other religions out there that have strong ethical systems and different concepts about life and, and the afterlife and, and claim various holy writings, 
Only Christianity was God who became human, literally died for his people and was raised bodily in power and glory. That's why we like to say and explain that Christianity is not a religion at all. It's a relationship with the living person. There are those who say that the resurrection is not that important of a doctrine. Listen, I believe that if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I would have to wonder if you really are a Christian. It's that important. It's foundational. It's bedrock. Many other things rest on this fact. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13 through 19. He said this, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is like that master foundation that supports a house of many rooms. Let me remind you this morning, just three things quickly that the resurrection says to us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, number one, assures us as Christians that we will live beyond the grave. Because Jesus died and rose again, we shall be raised like him. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 through 22. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. What that verse means there is when it says he is the first fruits, it means that, that he is the first among many. He's gone before us. He paved the way for us. And because he overcame death, he promises that we will overcome death as well. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now I find that an interesting phrase that the Bible uses for death in the life of a believer. He calls it falling asleep. Now, depending what your age is, is really kind of how you look at falling asleep. You know, when you're a child, you usually don't like to sleep. You don't want to take a nap. You fight it. But as you get older, you find it very, very appealing. Right? And the idea of taking a nap is a luxury. Middle of the day, you know, it's not something you dread. It's something you enjoy. Something you look forward to. I am looking very forward to this afternoon where I can take my nap after being up at 4.30 this morning for our sunrise service. But it's interesting that the Bible compares death to sleep. It's not something we resist. Rather, it's something we realize that it's a time of rest. And that's what the Bible speaks of what death will be like. It's like falling asleep and waking to the presence of life. Now, if you're young and you're healthy, this is an okay promise, but it doesn't have any particular relevance for your life, at least at this moment. But if you have a terminal illness, or if you have more of your life behind you than in front of you, this promise becomes more and more precious every single day. We will live again because of the resurrection of Jesus. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that there is a future judgment. It's going to be a future judgment. Listen to Acts chapter 17, verse 31. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. 
This reminds us, among other things, that God's justice will ultimately prevail. We've seen all the wrong committed by some against others in this life. But it's all going to come out in the wash, so to speak, at the judgment seat. There is a future judgment. And then number three, the resurrection of Jesus gives us the power to live the Christian life. Romans 8, verse 11 tells us, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So the resurrection says God will not only give you life beyond the grave, but He'll give you power to live the Christian life here and now. Now, let's look at the first ones to realize that Jesus is risen from the dead. Look now with me to Luke chapter 24. First three verses. We read, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now Luke doesn't give us all the facts here. He doesn't mention that the tomb was sealed and guarded, for example. Rather, he focuses your attention on the woman and their actions and their reactions. Understand, the ladies coming to the tomb came expecting to find Jesus' body. They didn't expect it to be gone. The last time they saw Jesus, uh, he was dead. Now all that was left for them to do was to, to wrap the body with spices. They wanted to do it right. Now in the other Gospels were told that they were wondering how they would move the stone out of the way while the first problem was solved. We read in verse 2 that when they got there, they found that the stone had already been rolled away. Now we understand the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so, so they could get in and see that it was true. After all, Jesus did say that he would rise from the dead. And again, these women, bless their hearts, they won out of love, but they had no plan of getting inside the tomb. They, they, they did not expect to find the stone rolled away. They, they did expect to find the body of Jesus. Now let me say this. You'd be surprised at the influence of your expectations. Let me say that again. You'd be surprised at the influence of your expectations. The Lord promised He would be spiritually and powerfully present whenever the church gathered together on this earth. Yet we can come and go and never have a sense of His presence because we're not really expecting it. Listen, expect Jesus to move and work in our lives this morning, and He will. Expect Jesus to be here in this place because He is. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus said, For where there are two or three gathered together in my name, Jesus says, I am there in the midst of them. So let's take the Lord at his, at his word and believe he is spiritually present with the power to heal and to help and expect that he will save and forgive those who come to him by faith this morning. So verse 3 tells us they went into the tomb and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4 tells us, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, this means they were confused. They didn't know what was going on. They knew the body had been there, but now it's gone. It goes on as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now these weren't rhinestone cowboys. Okay. These weren't guys that had on snazzy outfits. You know, these were angels. Verse 5 says, Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? What an outstanding standing question. These, these angels, they weren't upset with the ladies. They weren't going, what is wrong with you women? No, they simply say, come on ladies, think about this. What are you doing here looking for the living in a graveyard? 
Well, why are you here? The, the angels asked a great probing question. It's just as probing today as it was then, both for unbelievers and believers. Unbelievers are always seeking the living among the dead. You know, they look for wisdom and guidance from men who are dead rather than turning to the living Lord. Well, what did Confucius say? Or what did Muhammad say? All the world's religions and all the world's philosophies are attempts to find life from the dead. But I think even as believers, we can also seek the living uh, Lord among the dead in various ways to be caught up in religion or rules or traditions instead of enjoying that, that personal relationship with the risen Lord. And we, we invent traditions and rituals that really are just dead practices. Listen, we worship, or rather we preach the gospel of the living Christ who sits exalted at the Father's right hand and is living to save all those who put their faith and trust in Him. And He longs to have a relationship with you and me. Well, then in verse 6, we read the angel's glorious announcement. He is not here but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Uh, here the angels are saying, come on, think, think, think. Remember, this is exactly what Jesus said he would do. And then the angels actually quote what Jesus said. Look at verse 7. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. See, they have forgotten those clear and simple words. They needed to be reminded you know, there's always a variety of reasons why we forget or seem to ignore the clear, simple words of God. Usually it's sin or selfishness, but it can also be during times of suffering or sadness or just plain busyness that we fail to remember the promises of God's Word. But the good news is, and this is our second point, we can remember. Look at verse 8. And they remembered His words. Period. I mean, what a great verse. Just, just that alone. They were reminded and they remembered. Man, we need to be constantly reminded of God's Word. And I know I do this. Maybe you do this as well. Maybe you're going through a trial or a difficult time and, and you start to look down in your situations and the situation you're in and, and, and you're conflicted and the circumstances are getting you discouraged. But then someone comes along and, 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 and says, hey, how you doing? And I know you, you share with them. And all of a sudden, you know, the person that comes along, the Lord uses that person to remind you of the promises of God. Oh, brother, they may say, remember Philippians 4.13, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I do remember that verse. And, or remember Hebrews 13.5, God said he would never leave us or forsake us. Yeah, I do remember that verse too. And all of a sudden you're being reminded of God's word. I knew, what was I thinking? You remember God's promises. Listen, that's what we need to be doing with one another, reminding what God's word says. We should talk about it, read it, share it, remind each other what we need to hear. That Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Listen, anytime you may be feeling hopeless or discouraged uh, or overwhelmed, it's because you've forgotten that the power of his resurrection is available each one of us. same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you to enable you to obey the word of God. And this brings us to our, our third point, rejoice. Because at this point, the ladies, they're thrilled. You, you see, the, the ladies could literally not wait to get back to tell the boys back in hiding what had happened. Look at verse 9. So they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So it wasn't just to the 11. It's like, man, you got to hear, you got to hear. They're, they're telling everyone. Verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. Now I want to say something briefly about Mary Magdalene. 
Prior to being forgiven by Christ, we know that she was a very sinful woman. The Bible specifically tells us she was possessed by demons. Now, that she would have been an evil and very tormented person as well. In the Bible, when we read about people who are under the control of demons, we know that sometimes they would cut themselves. We know that on occasion when someone was demon-possessed, they would actually throw themselves into fire. We know that on another occasion, someone possessed by demons was attacking others. I want you to know it's worth noting that Scripture doesn't say Mary was possessed by a demon, but it says she was possessed by seven demons. This gal was in bad shape. By the way, the devil is real. Demon possession is still real. And there's nothing a non-believer can do to keep the devil away. You say, but I have a crucifix. <laughs> you think Satan is afraid of a crucifix? Well, I got some holy water. He doesn't care about that either. I do have a silver bullet. That might work on a werewolf, but not on the devil. Well, I'll just wear garlic around my neck. That'll keep your friends away, but it's not going to keep the devil away. The only power that the devil respects is the power of Jesus Christ. Only Christ can secure your life and keep you free from the possession of demons. Mary had been delivered by Jesus. And there's so much gratitude and rejoicing on her part. As Jesus said, to whom much is forgiven, the one loves more. And from that point on, whenever you read of the list of female followers of Christ, Mary is always number one on the list, as in verse 10 here. That's because Jesus had no more faithful follower among these women than Mary. No one loved him more deeply. No one watched him more closely. No one gave to him more freely. So imagine her personal pain and anguish as she, she saw Jesus who had delivered her being scourged and taken to the cross and then crucified and dying before her very eyes. Listen, while, the, while the, the, the men, the disciples, were hiding with the exception of John, the women were there at the cross. Matthew's gospel tells us a number of women were present, but watching from a distance. But then another gospel tells us that Mary stood right there by the cross. Others were at a distance. Mary was up close and personal. She could see Jesus. Jesus could see her. She stood right there. She watched him die. She didn't care about what could happen to her. She didn't care what others thought about her. All she cared about was being close to Jesus. Why did she want to be close to Jesus? Because Mary had discovered that nothing mattered in life but Him. She had the money. She had the pleasures of this world. She had the demons that went with it. Or I should say the demons had her. She didn't want to go back to those things. Let me ask you, have you gotten to that point in your life yet where you have tried all that the world says you should have to make you happy? And you, you find yourself yet unfulfilled and empty and your life seems pointless? Have you figured out yet that this world has nothing to offer you? Have you figured out yet that Jesus Christ has everything you need for this life? Mary did. Again, verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. They, they said, the ladies, Jesus is not here. He's risen. They were excited. Remember when you first got saved? How exciting it was to tell someone Jesus was alive and so were you for the very first time in your life. You were excited. Maybe you got the same reaction that these ladies got when they shared with these men. I mean, these apostles, these, these men who'd been the most time with Jesus. Huge skeptics. I mean, look what Luke said about the reaction to what the lady said. Verse 11. 
And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Oh, men of great faith. <laughs> they didn't believe them. Idle tales can be translated nonsense. It made no sense to them that Jesus was alive. You know, unbelievers still think the resurrection of Jesus is nonsense. And they have all their theories about what happened to Jesus' body. Yet none of their theories make any sense, but are, are themselves nonsense. In fact, their theories are, are, are harder to believe than the resurrection. But here in verse 11, the apostles hear the words of these ladies, these mighty men of God, and thought, oh, woman, they're so emotional. They're just upset, imagining things. Us men, we better go take a look. Oh, us men. We always think we know better, you know? I've been proven many times wrong by my wife, and so I, I learned to listen. Anyway, so the men decide they're going to go check it out because a woman, well, they're just talking nonsense according to these men. So, verse 12, Peter takes off. Now, we know from the other Gospels that John went as well because in John chapter 20, John lets us know that Peter, he had a foot race to the tomb and that John won. Verse 12 says, But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. Now Peter's problem was he's stooping down when he should have been looking up. He was marveling when he should have been believing. He should have been filled with hope and said he, left, he was left wondering what was going on. Now, the Bible says as Christians, we do not have to be full of sorrow like those who have no hope. If we believe Jesus, Jesus, Jesus died and rose again, we must believe He's also returning very soon. That's the hope that we have this morning. A great acronym for the word hope is this, holding on with patient expectation. Do you have that expectation today? Do you have that hope today? Maybe some of you are just holding on <laughs> Listen, you need, you need to hold on with patient expectation. Put your hope in God. I mean, look at our world right now. There's so many things that could discourage us. It's going on around us. The, the random shootings on high school campuses. Rogue nations developing nuclear weapons and, and threatening to use them on the United States. It can cause us to be, feel helpless and hopeless. In fact, Jesus even said in Luke 21, 26... People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in heaven will be shaken. So as we look at these things going around us, uh, what should you do? Jesus says, when you see these things happening, what do you want? He says, look up, for your redemption is drawing near. Don't just look down at the problems in our world. Look up, because this means Christ is coming back. Listen, Peter looked into the tomb, and it says he saw the linen cloths lying there by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. But John, on the other hand, in John 20, verse 8, it says, Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, won and also, and he saw and believed. Peter marveled to himself as to what happened. John looked in and believed. We know that in the early morning, Mary had her encounter with the risen Jesus outside the tomb, thinking he was the gardener. But then when Jesus revealed himself to her, then she believed. In fact, she hugged Jesus so tight that Jesus had to say, let up a little bit, Mary, you're kind of strangling me. <laughs> what is your reaction to the risen Lord this morning? Listen, when Jesus did rise, they were reminded, they remembered his word, and they rejoiced and went forward in the power of the resurrection. See, the resurrection reminds us that God loves ordinary and especially flawed people. 
They didn't come any more ordinary than, than Mary or flawed than Peter and John. Again, Mary, once a, a wicked woman, now transformed. Peter, who denied the Lord three times, was restored and transformed. They were both appointed to be his messengers and representatives. Listen, this gives hope to all of us who are the last ones picked for, for the team. You know, the ones that didn't achieve, the ones who, who didn't stand out from the crowd. God can do extraordinary things through the lives of ordinary people. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was like, like the lifting of a cloud that caused a group of discouraged and downhearted men and women to become zealous missionaries who turned their world upside down. Every one of the followers of Jesus died the death of a martyr with the exception of the Apostle John. Church history and tradition tells us that Luke, the author of this gospel, suffered martyrdom by being hung on an olive tree in Greece. Matthew suffered martyrdom by being thrust through with a sword in, a dis- in distant Ethiopia. The apostle Mark died in Alexandria after being drugged through the streets of the city. John, the apostle, was put into a cauldron of boiling oil, but mysteriously it would not boil, and he was then banished to the island of Patmos. They never thought they, they would hear from him again, and that is where God gave John the book of Revelation. Talk about having the last words. Apostle Peter, who denied the Lord three times, was crucified upside down. James the Greater was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the Less was stoned from a high place from the temple and then beaten to death with a club. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors until he died. Thomas, skeptical Thomas, was run through the body with a lance in the East Indies. And Jude was shot to death with arrows. They went to their graves proclaiming that the Lord has risen from the dead. You don't do that for a lie. You do it for the truth. Why? Because he was alive. And they could not deny the fact that it transformed their lives. There's a Charlie Brown comic strip that shows Linus and Lucy in a room together. Lucy's looking out the window. It's just raining cats and dogs. And she turns to Linus and says, You know what? It seems to me that it may just keep raining and the whole earth may flood and we will all die. Linus said, Lucy, that's not possible because the scriptures clearly teaches that the flood came one time and it will not come again and God has given us a rainbow as an indication to remind us of that fact. Lucy said, I feel a whole lot better. Linus's response, he said, well, sound theology will do that for you. This is sound theology. Jesus rose from the dead. Not some fact that is optional to believe in. It's not some negotiable thing, some peripheral issue. This is foundational. This is true. And because of it, I'm going to live again. Because, I, because of it, Jesus will give life to my body on this earth and help me to live this life. Something we need to be uh, to reminded of, remember, and rejoice in. The resurrection shows us that God blesses those who seek Him with all their heart. The resurrection helps us to know that God will more than meet us halfway. Jesus says, those who seek me will find me. Maybe you've come here this morning with weakened faith. Life has not gone as you hoped. Things haven't turned out the, the, the way you thought they would. Maybe you're, you're having difficulties in your marriage. Maybe you, you know, you're, you're having you know, a collapse of your faith and hope of suffering and, and you feel as though God has let you down. You need to know that Jesus is here today calling you by name. To tell you the good news, he's alive and on his throne and he has a plan and has a purpose for your life. Cry out to him this morning and he will hear you. He will heal the brokenhearted. He will set those who are captive free. 
Finally, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want you to know that it's not by accident that you're here. Now, maybe you've been coming for a while, but they've not made that commitment to Christ. I want you to know that you are here by an appointment. Someone's been praying for you. Someone's been, been maybe has invited you. Maybe a family member invited you here this morning, and, and, and maybe they, I don't know, maybe they promised you breakfast after you were done. Maybe you're here because you got one of our 3,000 mailers that went out to the houses around our neighbor. Maybe you didn't get one of the mailers, but either way, you're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. God wants to intervene in your life right now. He wants to meet you personally. He wants to take residence in your heart and your life and give you the power and the ability to be free from the slavery that sin brings. He wants to give you a fresh start. But you've got to come to Him. You don't need to wait to clean up your act. You just come just the way you are. Don't wait. Don't say, well, as soon as I stop sinning, I'll give my life to the Lord. <laughs> you know what that's like? It's like saying, you know, as soon as I get better, I'm going to go see a doctor. What's the point? It's not going to get any better. As this applies to sin, you can't get better. There's no way you can clean up your act. That's why you're still where you're at today. What you need is someone to clean up your act for you, and that's Jesus Christ, who's alive and he's calling to your heart this morning. I've always liked the illustration that's given about a man who's stuck in quicksand, and he's going down. And he's about to be destroyed, and he looks up and he sees Confucius walking by. Confucius looks at the man and says to the man, slowly sinking in the quicksand, Confucius say, man ought to avoid quicksand at all costs. And then Confucius goes his way. Well, another guy heard that and thought it was true what he said, or the guy in the quicksand heard that and thought it was true what he said, but that doesn't really help him in his present difficulty. He's sinking. Well, then as Confucius leaves, Buddha comes by. And Buddha looks at him, the man who was sinking slowly but surely in the quicksand, and, and Buddha says to him, whether this be good or bad, one cannot say, for bad is as good and good is as bad, yin-yang, and he went on his way. And the guy said, some of that might be true, the yin and the yang and all the Zen thoughts that Buddha came up with that are passed around in our culture today. But he says, I'm still thinking. I'm still going down in this quicksand. Well, then Muhammad came by. Alas, Muhammad said, as Allah can see, this is the will of God. And he, will walk, he walked away and said, Islam, that's the way it's got to be. Then Krishna, the Hindu god, walks by. And Krishna says, as he looks at the man sinking down in the quicksand before his very eyes, Krishna says, Om. Um, sorry about that. Mm, better luck next time. See, reincarnation was the message of Hinduism. But that didn't help the man on that day. Then Jesus comes. And Jesus walks by and sees the man. And the dilemma is in. And Jesus reaches down, and grabs the man's hand, and pulls him out of the quicksand, sets him on solid ground, and saves him. Listen, that's what Jesus does. He saves. He's alive, and he saves. It's not some philosophy, a yin-yang zen thing, or a passive submission to Allah, or oming your way to hell, which will never work. But rather, Jesus is real. What does He want to do for you? He wants to rescue you from the pit. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to fill the void in your life. He wants to take your guilt away. He wants to give you the assurance that if you die, you will go to heaven. Jesus said in John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Because it's His blood alone that cleanses us from all sin. Will you come to him this morning? Will you take that step? Don't let anyone else tell you what you need to believe. Think for yourself and consider the claims of Christ. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And then he asked the question, do you believe? That's the question this morning. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Went to the cross for your sins? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? 
Have you opened the door of your life and asked Christ in? If not, would you like to today? I want to give you that opportunity as we close. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace. We thank you for your son that willingly came to this earth and died upon the cross, taking my place, taking our place upon the cross. We deserve to die on that cross. Your word says the wages of sin is death. We've all of sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But your word also says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, my son. And so, Lord, we pray this morning, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, to have their sin forgiven, to be born again, Lord, that they would see, Lord, that all this world has to offer is emptiness, but you have the words to life. Lord, we pray that they would make that commitment this morning to you. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning? You want your sin forgiven. You want to be born again. You want to commit your life to Jesus Christ. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I can pray with you this morning? God bless you in the back in the corner. Anybody else? You're tired of trying to find all the things this world has to offer. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ. He's alive. He's in this room right now. Maybe tugging on your heart. Saying, when are you going to surrender? When are you going to give it up? When are you going to come to me? If that's your desire, just again, raise your hand and make that commitment to Christ this morning. Maybe at one point in your life you made a commitment to Christ, but it's been many years and you've not been walking with Him and you know that. And now you, you've showed up at church on Easter and, and God's spoken to your heart and you realize you've got to recommit your life to Him this morning. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? You want to rededicate your life to Christ this morning. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? That's just so much evident by dying on the cross for each one of us. Make that commitment this morning. While the heads are bowed and eyes are still close, I've asked those that lifted their hands even if you didn't lift your hands, but you want to commit your life to Christ or recommit your life, just repeat this prayer after me. Let's pray. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it today. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. I commit my life to you now. I surrender my life to you now. I recommit my life to you now. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for accepting me and forgiving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, rising again from the dead. I put my faith and trust in you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give new believers a hand.